All right. Nice to see everybody. Isn't it about time that we had winter? We have not been having winter. I think it's hilarious that the Browns transfer here from literally Death Valley, where it's 4,000 degrees every day, and the very first day they're here, the temperature drops to the teens. I just, I just think sometimes God's just having a good time. He's having a fun at our expense kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> so, I do want you guys to be thinking over the next week and a half to two weeks. Anytime, anytime uh, Shelby comes to your mind, pray for her. Because <laughs> here's, here's what's happening. This time last year, they went on a cruise. Marcus ditched her off the motorcycle at high speed. She rammed into a pole, shattered her kneecap, had surgery. You know this stuff. She's still dealing with stuff from that. They're going on another cruise with the same people. It's a do-over. So, no, no mopeds? Marcus, I believe in you. I think you should rent another moped. I believe in you. Maybe a sidecar. I believe in you. If you don't rent another moped at Marcus, how are you ever going to prove you really can do this? All right. <laughs> okay, so we've been talking about relationships. I want to read this. I'm going to read this to you. Then we're going to look at that video uh, that we... That, um, uh, we, we were going to start last week. But, um, um, so 1 John chapter 3, we, we, so, the, so the context of everything that we're looking at is everything, everything when the, the uh, body of Christ, family of God, those kind of terms, are gonna, is relationship. You, you cannot do Christianity separate from relationship. And this, this is the interesting thing about, about how Jesus has designed this whole thing, is you have to make the decision by yourself. Somebody else cannot make the decision for you, and uh, you don't make it in. in um, you don't make the decision like uh, together with two or three other people or something. It's not like you make a, a Jesus pack together kind of thing. Um, you're you're making an individual decision to serve Jesus Christ, but you you cannot make that. If you really think about this, you cannot get to that point. You don't you go, you don't process it. You can't get there. You can't have the revelation. All this kind of stuff without. Uh, the, the, the corporation, the concert of other people. It do, it's not possible. And on top of that, you, you can't really uh, live it out in isolation. That's also not possible. In fact, I think one of the, one of the biggest signs, this is, this is a pastor speaking, okay? One of the biggest signs that I recognize um, somebody has really uh, got rebellion and there's some struggle and some things going on is when they try to convince, I'm a pastor, okay? They try to convince me that they don't need to go to church, right? It's, it's, it's just, that's rebellion. That's, now, sometimes it can be um, started, uh, ignited, or whatever from, from hurt, pain. I, I get all that. Guys, I, I, for some reason, there's this mentality sometimes that people think that uh, church people get hurt, and, uh, and us pastors have no idea what that is. Um, none of you, none of you will ever be hurt by as many church people as I've been hurt by. It is, it's not going to happen, okay? But with that said, you don't just bag the whole thing and say, well, then forget this. First, Jesus is not the one hurting you. Keep that in your mind, your spirit. Jesus is not the one hurting you. And secondly, uh, let me just pump you up for the next stage of life. Other people are going to hurt you later. So as soon as you get over this, Somebody else is going to hurt you. So, so that should pump you up. That should excite you. Um, but the reality is, is those are people that's not Jesus. And in the, in the basic sense, it's not the church. It's not the body of Christ. It's, it's individuals. You make a decision to serve Jesus because of revelation of who Jesus is, not because of people. But you serve Jesus in concert with other people. And, and you really can't do it in isolation. And when you try, you only hurt yourself and others. That's, that's a reality. You can't, you can't not do this. So when somebody says to me, and I get, I get this, oh, five or six times a year, probably more, 
Do, do you think you have to go to church to be a Christian? That, that's, the question makes no sense. It literally doesn't make any sense. Pat? <clears throat> if, you, if you're not, how are you a, how are you a fan? I, I mean, the, these kind of things make no sense. When we, when we really vet them out, that makes no sense. Um, do you have to drink water to be a human? Not short term. You can go all the rest of tonight and not drink anything. You're still a human, right? So the questions make no sense. So and the, 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 the real issue is not do we need other people. The real issue is how do we do this? That's really the question that we have to get to is how do you do this? How do you interact with other people? How do you, people are going to hurt you. And here, here's the thing that we never process. You also hurt other people without even trying to sometimes. You hurt other people. I, I know that this, this doesn't seem to be something that you think I process, but I really do think through the fact that sometimes I say things from the pulpit that hurts people. I do think about that. Not a long time, but I do think about that. And I process, man, should I have said that? And sometimes I'll ask Linda. I have to be careful because if it comes into my head and I think it's important enough to ask Linda, the question is going to be, yes, you shouldn't have said that. Um, yes, sir. Yes, I did. I was like, I hope this doesn't hurt him. I mean this for his good. <laughs> you guys know I'm not a hugger, right? Okay, for some of you guys that are newer around here, I don't hug. So if you feel like hugging, hug someone else. Just don't hug me. Beady. So, <laughs> so how do we do this? This is the key is how. It's not, the, it's not if or what, it's how. How do I interact with other people? How do I do this? How do I, what kind of relationship do I have? Do I not have those kind of things? We're, we're in just a minute and we're going to show the video and we're going to look at Dr. Henry Cloud has broken down into four basic categories. I, I have other categories besides his, and, and you probably have some too. We're going to vet some of that. Um, but he does a good job of just looking at general relationships, how people interact. But 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 says, We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. That's real love. So that's a basic definition of, of true love, just absolute true love. Um, and that is that, you're, that it's not about you. It's about others. That's a basic foundation. Jesus died. Perfect Jesus died for people. This is always the one that gets me, is that the, he died for the people that were murdering him. He voluntarily died and let them think he, they were murdering him. But he, those are the ones he died for. While they're doing it, he's, he's loving them, them enough to say, okay, I'm going to let you kill me. He, he was powerful enough. He didn't have to let anybody do anything to him. But, but while they were doing it, he was submitting himself to that for them. That's Jesus saying that is what true love is. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. This is where it becomes difficult. This is why I always talked about the difference between um, temporal love and transcendent love. Transcendent love loves somebody to Jesus. That's the best kind of love that there is. You're loving somebody to Jesus. Temporary love or temporal love, what I call temporal love, is... Loving someone to you or to something else. This, this is what we're really struggling with in our country, all the way across the board, from, from the highest of the political to, to social agendas to all kinds of stuff. I, I was thinking about that. I watched the, um, I, I didn't get to see the uh, State of the Union when it was happening, but I watched it today. And I, and I was thinking about this when uh, President Trump starts talking about the initiative that he's putting forth to protect babies and the, and the, and the, this is political, but, but here's the thing. I had a great conversation. In fact, Chaplain Brown and I were at, um, at uh, lunch sometime recently. Yesterday? Was that yesterday? And we got talking to the waitress, and we are talking about different things. And, and um, talking about, we, we got to the issue of uh, politics and stuff. She goes, to, um, she goes to Church for All Nations over by my house. And their pastor, I really like that church. The pastor's solid. But that man is a political... 
Okay, he, he pushes limits, all kinds of, I, I like the guy, I respect him. He and I have done political things together, I like the guy. But he's, every week he sends his message to the IRS. I'm not exaggerating that, okay? He, he sends a copy of his sermon to the IRS just to tempt them to take away the 501c3 status of his church. Just to tempt them. Because he knows he has constitutional right to nail them if they do it. I personally think he'll lose that because they're big. The IRS actually has their agents the ability to carry guns. Do you realize how unconstitutional that is? That is literally some of the founding stuff of our country. You can't do that. But either way, so, so we're talking to her, and she said something about political stuff, and she asked me, because I'm a pastor, she said, do you talk about political stuff? I said, I do. I said, but I really try to limit the political stuff that I say, I don't always succeed in this, but I try to limit the political stuff to the things that I don't actually think are political. She said, like abortion. I said, exactly. Guys, abortion is not a political issue. It's been politicized, but it's not a political issue. That's a moral issue we're going to stand before God for. That's a moral issue. That's the murder of babies. And I was watching, I was watching that State of the Union where Trump starts talking about the little, I don't know if you guys saw it, you know, on time, if you don't, Go watch it. I think it's one of the better State of the Unions ever. But he talks about this little baby that was born at 21 weeks. Did you guys see that? The baby, the baby was there. She's like three now or something. Uh, the baby was born at 21 weeks. Medical science kept a baby at 21 weeks alive, and she's three years old now. That's, that's amazing it's medical gifting science from God. Okay, And he talks about that every baby has the right to be protected. And an entire half of our leadership body set angry at that. That's exactly what it is. We're going to kill those babies. Those babies are a blight upon somebody and upon society. And guys, this literally falls into the category of I don't get it. It's, it's, there's a lot to that. It's the right to live my life however I want with no consequences. Well, let me say that differently. That's what it used to be. I think that's really what it used to be back in the day. But I believe we have transcended so far now that, that it, is the, it is the evilness of, of the baby death. The way that I see it in my head is Satan is sitting there with the blood of these babies dripping off his hands, and he is empowered by that. It used to be, I want the freedom to do what I want to do. But now we are fighting to murder babies after the, the birth because we've got the taste of evil murderousness on our, on our hands and our spirits. It is no longer about rights. To, for the, it's not about any of that stuff. It's, it's just pure evil. Just evil. Guys, and here's the thing. The church... First, the church did not do its job back in the 60s and 70s when Roe versus Wade came. Didn't. We, we, we sat back and we didn't do it. Now, in defense of the church, some, um, we really still were trying to decide how much the church is supposed to be involved in politics and all this stuff. And we didn't realize that it happened, I think, before it happened. Plus, the Supreme Court did it, which was unconstitutional. Um, you can't, the Supreme Court can't make law like that. But they did. So all of this stuff happened, but we didn't stand up. And then the way we stood up was, you know, petitioning with dead babies on signs and stuff. I don't think that helped. Um, we didn't fight it the right way. We didn't. Now we have finally got to the point. I would never have thought, okay, I would never have thought five years ago that, that, the, that the leader of the, 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 pro move, pro, the movement for pro-life and all that stuff would be Donald Trump. I never thought... I, I did not see that coming. I did not, okay? I, he was not the guy I wanted in the primaries. He wasn't even close. I didn't. Either way, he, he has turned out to be the best president ever for Christian rights. And that's not something debatable. That's not something, I don't, it doesn't matter whether you like him or not. That is, that's too factually proven. He has, he has done more for Christianity. He has done more for the pro-life movement. You guys understand, two weeks ago, he is the first president ever, ever, 
All these great Christian presidents, supposedly, over the years, he is the first president ever to go to a major pro-life march. Speak at it. Ever. Did you think this five years ago? I think this is the Holy Spirit just doing something bigger than us, bigger than him, bigger than all this stuff. When he stands up in the State of the Union and says, I'm going to stand, the closest we've ever come is when uh, George Bush talked about the, the um, sanctity of life. We're going to put that back in. He, and I, and that, he was solid about his thinking on that. But he said, we're going to put that back in. But Trump said, words, whatever, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. Guys, now with the Supreme Court on the line, and um, what's her face, little? Yes. Yes. Jesus, she's had a full life. Let's, okay, so <laughs> that's, that is, Barry, that's not okay. I don't, the, 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 <laughs> the statements of the audience do not reflect, <laughs> totally, totally reflect. Okay, so here's the thing. You guys understand, for the first time since Roe versus Wade, we have, we have come back around full circle in our country, and we are actually thinking morally. We're not, we're not, we're not a saved nation or anything. That's, I'm not even going there. We are, finally, we are finally trying to, at least trying to, wash the blood off our hands of these babies. We are trying to. And we'll see how it goes. Guys, that's not political. That's not political. That is the biggest spiritual thing going in our country right now. That is the biggest thing that God will judge our country for is the murder of these babies. To the tune right now, and I just saw this a few weeks ago, to the tune of about 350,000 babies a year. Remember I said this a month ago? Um, Planned Parenthood broke all of their records for murdering babies in 2019. How sad is that? Yeah, Planned Parenthood was started to, to uh, weed out black people. That was the point. So, that's exactly what it was. A, it was a eugenics project. It was specifically designed for that. <clears throat> that's, that's a valid question. That is a very valid question. Yes, ma'am. I do think, I will say this, and you're young enough, this may not have the same um, balance. It's not near what it used to be. Um, it just isn't. Uh, but is there that? Yeah. It's only like in this small microcosm of a very legalistic church thinking that we even still see this exist. Are, are girls supposed to have, or anybody, boys, girls, supposed to have sex outside of marriage? No. Are you supposed to get pregnant outside of marriage? No. But the baby is still a creation of God. It's still God's. God did, did that. Um, we, we, you, you, it's been a while since I've, maybe a year and a half, two years since I've done a series on this. But the fact that we're co-creators with God. We're not creators, but God does give us the opportunity to co-create with him. Um, that's called procreation, right? Uh, we get the opportunity to do that. But really, at the end of the day, we're, we're we're co-authoring this thing called a child. God, God's the one who breathes life into it. We can't do that. Okay? So, so with that, we have to keep that in balance, and it's important. Um, so, so you guys know, this is not like Revelation, um, but um, Kara in our church here, she had an abortion years ago, and she's a late teenager. And uh, she's given the testimony. She's done all this stuff with that. And she came and talked to me a couple weeks ago about this, about um, the, the, some of the stuff with uh, the, the stigma and some of the stuff that comes along with abortion. Um, we have to have a balance here, guys, because the church has got to, to still declare that, um, that abortion is horribly wrong. We have to say that. At the same time, we have to be able to embrace people that have had abortions. It's not the, it's not the unpardonable sin. Okay, it's not. 
You can be forgiven of that kind of stuff. You can. And Kara's an amazing testimony to this. And, and, and little Kana is the gift that she never thought she was going to have, ever. Because it's a testimony. We've got to be able to balance both things. In fact, this is just, this is just the, the, um, the tension of, of the, uh, the church and the Word of God constantly is that, that we've got to be able to, to do both at the same time. We've got to declare sin. We can't not do that. Scripture's too clear. We've got to, but we have to do this in grace and love, trying to embrace individuals in the process. Okay? And one of the ways that I think we do this this is just my, um, this is just kind of my approach to this, my personal, I'm saying in my head, is one of the things that helps me with this is to remember, I said this two weeks ago, I think, on the weekend, that, that uh, I have to remember where I have come from, that Jesus saved me, that I, that I, I again, what I said, I don't remember when it was a couple weeks ago, that, that, um, that we, the gospel, the presentation of the preaching of the gospel diminishes the farther we emotionally, mentally get away from salvation. The farther we get away from our own personal salvation and remembering that we are sinners. That the story that always comes to my head, and I can't ever remember the players when I'm standing here. I only remember them other times. But is the, the, the two guys, one of them is a preacher. They're walking down the street. And uh, one of the guys, they see a drunk in the, in the gutter. And one of the guys says, look at that drunk in the gutter. And the other guy says, but for the grace of God, go I. If it weren't God's grace, I'd be that guy right there. I would be him. But it's just God's grace that, that, that keeps me. It's God's grace. I've talked about this with things like um, addiction stuff, like alcohol. I, I can't stand the taste of alcohol. I, I just can't. I, it goes back to my parents are here, so I don't want to tell the whole story. But <clears throat> <laughs> it goes, it's, I've never tasted it. I don't really know what it tastes like. Um, <laughs> My, my messages are going to have to change from now. So, um, but, but it goes back to when I was a kid, something. So whatever. So I can't stand the taste of alcohol. I can't, I can't stand the smell of it. I can't stand the taste of it. But it's a good thing for me personally. This is just me personally. This is the reason. Because I, I have a very addictive type of personality, specifically with tastes, foods, drinks, and stuff like that. Bacon. I'm not addicted to bacon. It's, I'm gifted with bacon. <laughs> I can say no whenever I want. But, but you understand what I'm saying? I know. I know me. And if, and, if, and if I just did not absolutely abhor alcohol, I probably would be a drunk. I, I, I can't imagine that I wouldn't. Sometimes, even though I cannot, I can't, I don't like it, I, don't, I, can't, I can't stand the smell or anything. Sometimes I open a menu and some of those drinks that they, they look really good. They look amazing good, and I'm like, that would be awesome if it didn't have alcohol in it. So, and we've all got those things in our life, guys. This is the reality. If you can keep that in your mind and your spirit, if it weren't for God's grace, I would be whatever you're looking at. That's what you have to keep in your mind. Whatever you're judging, whatever. Because, see, I think this is what happens is if we keep the reality that we are sinners, we can minister to people with truth. We can minister to people that like, like Allison is saying, we can minister to these young girls. Because here's one of the things that I have found over the years. I'm not going to go down this road except just this statement, we're going to move on. Here's one of the things I have found. Everybody in the room, and it doesn't matter what room you're in, church, room, whatever, everybody in the room would be surprised at how not so righteous we were just in one area, just in our dating. We would we'd be like, what? They did that. But the whole time forgetting what you did or how you acted, right? So, so that's where we just have to say, Lord, help me to be a, a minister. I, I, still have to, I still have to declare, yes, this is sin. Now, I don't think that needs to be your opening lines, Right? Um, there's a guy, the guy that is now in charge of the Chick Tracks. He took it over. I can't think of his name right now. I will in a, uh, um, I will in a second here. But one of the things that he believes very strongly, and I, and I think the guy's a great minister. I think he's a great uh, witness or evangelist kind of guy. But he believes that the way you witness to people is you tell them first they're sinners. I don't personally believe that's the way you start. I believe it'll come up because they're going to ask. Something's gonna, somebody's going to say something to them. I don't think you have to. He believes that you have to get them 
to admit that they're sinners before they can get saved. Well, here's the thing I found. Everybody's already admitted in their heart they're sinners. I don't think you have to get them to say it out of their mouth to you. They need to say it to Jesus, but not to you. Okay? And so we, 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 we've got to care about people. At the end of the day, we've got to care about people. We've got to care about their souls. We've got to love them. We've got to love them to Jesus and not love them to anything else. To, this is the temporal, to us, to the church, to relationship. Or We're not trying to get people on our side. And this is where we struggle so much as humans, so much as the church, or whatever. We're trying to get people on our side, whatever that is. Coming to our church, thinking the way we do, believing, liking us personally, whatever. Guys, we've got to somehow lose that. I don't know how because it's so much part of human nature. But we've got to lose that and love people to Jesus. And sometimes that means you've got to say something difficult. Sometimes it means you don't. But you've got to love them to Jesus. You've got to love them to Jesus. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can, God, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's show the truth by our actions. This is, you guys know I rant and rave on this regularly. I don't care what anybody says. Words don't mean anything to me coming from people. They don't. I don't mean they're negative. It's not like I don't believe people. I don't have a, I don't have a negative propensity toward that. But I, I'm not going to judge somebody according to their words. I just don't. I judge them according to their actions. Who they are will be seen in their life. That's how I perceive, and that's how I, um, that's how I um, um, appropriate people to myself, is what they're doing, not what they're saying, what they're doing. Um, what you do is who you are. It's not what you say. And so that's what he's saying here. It's, 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 your, it's the truth in your actions. I, I get this debate with people um, regularly. You know, you pull up to the street corner and there's somebody standing there, uh, need anything will help. You know, they're 35 years old, Vietnam veteran, you know, those kind of things. And so, um, and they want money, right? Now, here, this, this is, I don't think there's a right or wrong here. I'm just telling you what I think. Because I debated this with people. I've debated people right in this room before. I do not give those people money because I don't think I don't think that's a true love action. I just don't. I don't. I don't think you're wrong if you do. I kind of do, but I. <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's what I and I've done this. I've done this twenty times, guys. More probably more than that over the years. My kids have been with me when I do this. In fact, one time we pulled out, I don't remember the context, I think, I think we were going to a Bronco game or something, we were going downtown. Yeah, I had just said something, we've got a van full of people, oh, we were going to a Rockies game with a whole group of people in our church. Um, in, our, in our last church, we were in Denver, we used to take like 100 plus people to the Rockies games every year on faith day and stuff. So we're packed, we've got buses, vans, all kinds of stuff, we've got a van full of people, my, my boys are sitting right behind me, they're junior high, high school, I don't know. We pull up and there's a guy on the corner you know, we'll need, anything will help, desperate, whatever the case is. And somebody said, hey, anybody got a couple dollars to give that guy some money? My boys just went off. You do not give him money. He's just going to buy booze with that money. You do not. And I was like, boys, boys, shh, boys. Boy. Yeah, I'll give him a couple. Boys, you know, it's that kind of thing. Because I've done this for you. But here's something I've done for years. I'll pull up to somebody at the red light and say, um, I can get you a job, and I'll buy you lunch while we talk about it if you want to go with me right now. And I've had a couple of takers over the years. I've asked 25, 30 people over the years that. Most of the time, they're like, no, thank you. But I've actually, because see, as a pastor of a church, I can employ some people for an afternoon of doing something. I can do that. I'll tell them, hey, I'll give you 50 bucks if you come mow the church lawn. They don't know the church lawn's the size of a postage stamp. But I'll give you, no, nah, I'm not interested. Do you see why I don't hand money to those people? That's my personal thing. Because I don't believe you're really loving them. I think this is, okay, I understand there's another side of the argument. In my thinking, the only reason you're giving them a few bucks is to assuage your guilt. I just said it. 
to assuage your guilt because rather than truly caring about them or truly trying to help them or do something, it's easier to just give them a couple bucks and then you feel like you've done something. Instead of actually do something. Pick them up, put them in your car, and take them to a nearby all-you-can-eat buffet and sit there with them while they eat. My thinking, that's a little more action-oriented rather than just a little verbalization kind of thing, right? Okay, that's just, just throwing that out there. All right, let's, let's watch this video. This is Dr. Henry Cloud. He's going to talk about four basic categories of how we interact with people relationally. Well, there's a lot of different ways to describe how to categorize relationships. But in The Power of the Other, I talk about kind of four possibilities where we find ourselves in a relationship at any moment. And I kind of draw a map of the universe, and there's four corners to it. And we're going to land in one of those corners at any given moment. And the first one is, is the no connection. It's a disconnected place. Now, it doesn't mean we're not in a relationship. It might be somebody there with us. You know, it could be in a marriage, friendship, a family, a team. But even though there's people around, we're not connected. So the first one is we don't feel connected. And that's where we're not being real, we're not being open, we're not having our needs met, we're not being understood. And we feel crummy. You know, it feels like kind of hopeless and meaningless and empty and sometimes fearful and just not good. So that's not a good one. The second one is when in a relationship we feel like we're bad. Some way in which the way that connection is, we just feel like we're not good enough, like we, we can't quite measure up to somebody's expectations or we're always kind of being criticized or blamed, but the feeling in the relationship is somehow it leaves us feeling bad. Well, that doesn't feel good, so sometimes we go to the third place, and the third place is where we seek some sort of good feeling. And that could be, you know, to try to connect instead of a relationship that's making us feel bad or disengaged, we go connect with, with something pseudo-relationship, like, like a substance or even a flattering relationship or, a, you know, somebody's just telling you what you want to hear or making you feel good or even a substance or food or retail therapy. But just something where we're trying to meet that need for connection in some way that just medicates ourselves, but that's not real either. And a lot of relationships are like that. They just flatter each other and just talk about things they agree with. And, and it doesn't get real. It doesn't fuel us. But the fourth one is where we have real connection. And a real connection, if you think about it, the other three, it's not isolated, but you can have solitude, right? When you're really connected, it appreciates your, your need for silence or or just to be alone while you're with the person or even away from the person, but you still feel connected to them even when you're apart. Or the bad corner, corner two, it's about negative stuff. In a real relationship, in that good corner four, we talk about the bad stuff. We give feedback. We, we point out where we need to grow. We, we confront each other in good ways, and we show each other where we can get better. But it's not judgment. It doesn't leave us feeling bad. It also fuels us. You know, corner three we go to to feel good. Well, a good relationship, it fuels us. It gives us energy. It gives us support. It gives us the things we need in order to, you know, get energy. And it also provides a place where we're held accountable and, and responsible and empowers us and drives us to be the best we could be. So look at your relationships. If you're feeling disconnected, alone in the relationship, then go down to corner four and talk to the person or your team and say, I don't really feel like we're connected. I don't feel like, like we're, we're really being open or real or whatever it is to, you know, to feel close. Or tell them, I always feel bad, like I'm, I'm not good enough for you or I'm being judged or, or help me out. Help me not feel that way. Or tell them, you know what, sometimes we got to talk about some things that don't make us feel good. we got to be real and talk about the hard things. So in corner four, that's where the real connection is. We want to be real, authentic, have our needs met, get confronted when we need to, get pushed and challenged, be held accountable. That's real relationship. Now, every one of us <clears throat> have all those four categories in our life right now, in my opinion. I think we have all of those. 
And, and somehow we've got to figure out um, how to get those real connected relationships. So this is one of the reasons that we, that we push so much around here. We push accountability, uh, prayer partners, accountability partners, those kind of things, true, true uh, walking relationships, uh, working relationships in our life. Because I, I, I just have, I've just seen this too long. Uh, guys, as Christians, we do, not, we do not know how to foster healthy relationships. We just, we just don't do that well. We have good relationships. That's not what I'm saying. We have people that we really like, we're connected to, whatever the case is. But we don't really know how to, to foster really, truly um, healthy relationships. Uh, the, the reason that I push accountability, at least having a, a one accountability part, person, partner in your life, besides your spouse, your spouse should be that too, but we don't even really do that well in marriage. Um, this, this is the way that I can prove it. Uh, if, if we could just pick any random marriage in this room right now and begin to, I, I could ask them five questions and quickly assess whether they have true accountability in their marriage. Anybody want to volunteer? <laughs> no, don't. I, I don't want to hurt you guys. So um, I don't want you to hate me either. But here's one of the things that I found. Here's some criteria. Here's a way to ask yourself. Is there anything in your marriage that's off limits? Think, think about what I'm asking. Is there anything in your marriage, any subject, any, any issue, past, present, future, is there anything off limits? Now, what I mean by off limits is you just know you can't go there. If that's a reality for you, then, then you, there's an unhealthiness going on in that marriage. Because really, there should be no off limits. If you're one... There should be no off-limits. And by the way, I will have people argue this out with me. No, it's okay to have certain areas of off-limits. Why would that be the case? Why would there be certain areas that you just can't go down that road? Can't talk about that. Can't. Um, okay, so, so somebody give me, I want to be careful because I don't want you to, you don't have to reveal your own in this. Just. Give me some areas that you think, that you've seen, let me say it that way, you've seen in other relationships that you see that it's off limits for them. They can't talk about that. Give me a subject. Money. Now, now you, you don't not talk about money. So when Paul says that, he's talking about certain things. He's talking about certain areas of discussion of money. Not in money in a general sense. It's not like you say, hey, um, do, do, you know, do you have $5? That's not what he's saying. Well, maybe, but... But we understand what he's saying is there's certain things to deal with money that, that we can't talk about. Guys, it's not healthy. One of you, or it could be both, but really one of you is driving that somehow. Okay? What's another subject? Family. Man. Family. Um. Lynn and I both have good families, okay, grew, grew up in church and all that kind of stuff. But, but without even trying, specifically the first few years you're married, you've got to be careful. How do I know what I can say and what I can't say? Okay, first few years of marriage is different. 30 years later, there should be, there should be no off-limits that, in that arena, right? What's another category? Yeah, well, let's, let's broaden that out. Just children. Right? Guys, guys, you've heard me say this. I can say this and say this and say this. Man, this is so tricky. And um, it is, it's amazing to me how many people would agree with what I'm going to say, but they don't actually do it. When it comes to parents and children, the parents have to be unified. You are not... God did not call you to to cleave to your children. Marriage is an eternal relationship. Parents to children is not the same kind of eternal relationship. How do I know this? Scripture says that your children will leave you and they will cling, cleave to someone else. We've got a good friend of mine in Texas. You say this all the time. His kids were in my youth group 25 years ago. And, uh, he said, well, because they got older, had kids, all kinds of stuff. And so 
I think, I think all three of them had kids out of wedlock kind of thing. And so he calls me and he's frustrated and all this kind of stuff. And he says, you know, they've got the, the and then they would all move back in the house sometimes. He says, they've got the cleaving, but they don't have the leaving. He would say that all the time. Well, cleaving doesn't just mean getting jiggy, right? So it, there's, there's, am I allowed to, am, is that a line? Did I cross a line? Okay. So, whoot. Um, so here's the thing. Cleaving is a spiritual thing. Cleaving is a, it's a um, relational thing. It's, it should mean that you really recognize that you are one. You realize you're not like that with the kids. You, parents have to be one together in solidarity. And the kids, kids are great at trying to separate mom and dad and take sides and all that kind of stuff. If, if you hang your spouse out to dry in front of the kids, you are wrong. You're wrong. You can't do it. Mothers, fathers, this is not a gender issue. This is a personality issue more than anything and a spiritual issue. But this idea, um, I'll, I'll give you one. Wait till your father gets home. That drives me crazy. You know what you're telling your kids? I'm not going to be the bad guy, but your dad is. Or, um, dad, when mom tells him something, and I've been guilty of this, okay? When mom tells him something, and they come and tell you, and you're like, all right, whatever. You know, no, your answer is, what did mom say? What did mom say? Because she's the boss. And I've had my kids say to me, no, dad, you're the boss. Now, my first reaction is, well, yes, you're correct. But so is she. And we're in equality, like 98 and 100. Okay, so, all right. But you understand, you, <laughs> so, so these are issues, guys. These are, these are relational issues. Is that a good, healthy accountability marriage? Well, if you can't talk about the kids without getting in a fight, or you, can, or you can't be in cooperation and solidarity. God, these are issues. These are relational issues. They're spiritual issues. Okay, what, what's another one? What? Um, so let me broaden that one out in a, in a big sense. Um, uh, where you live, what jobs you have, all that kind of stuff, that's all part of, is that what you're talking about? Okay, all of that. If you're not careful, because one of the personalities in the marriage will be the stronger one. If you're not careful, what you're doing is one of you is the driver and the other one's along for the ride. Without trying to, that's what will happen. Okay? Lynn and I recognized this early in our marriage. That if we're not careful, what's happening is I'm the minister and I, we, Linda goes where I go. But that's not scripturally accurate. Right? We're doing this together. In fact, this is a little thing here. That, that just so you know how we operate here at Church of Bragi, this is a big thing for us. Um, it doesn't seem big, but it is. Uh, when we hire pastoral staff, part of our interview and part of, part of the deal with this, and our board does this too, the last interview that we have with our, when, before we hire somebody is we have a board, a spouse, board and their spouse's pastor interview. Okay? Um, and the board knows this. I'll ask them questions, but we ask questions like, how does your spouse, it doesn't matter whether they're male or female, it doesn't, we hire female ministers, we hire male ministers. How does your spouse feel about this? Describe, and, and my wife is the, the strongest about this. She, specifically, if we're hiring a guy and it's her, Linda will drill down. Sometimes it makes me uncomfortable. But she'll drill down. What, how do you see yourself in the church? How do you see yourself in ministry? How do you see as the spouse how do you see yourself uh, going to church, getting involved in ministry, those kind of things, right? Because why? There is a mentality, and, I, and I, I'm, I'm trying not to be too critical of it. I just don't agree with it. But there is a mentality in ministry that one person, they're, they're the minister, and the other person, I, I have friends that are ministers that don't believe their wife is called to ministry, and sometimes their wife doesn't even go to church. I, okay, that's them, Whatever. You will not stay on staff with us if that's your thinking. Because that's not how we think. That's, 
Jesus created us to be one. Now, that doesn't mean that, you, that the spouse is doing all of the same stuff. That's not what that means. But it does mean in your heart, in your mind, are you, is this part of your family? Is this your, is this your church family? Is this your body? Are we doing this together? Those kind of things. So all of this kind of stuff, the nuances of how, how do we do this together? How do we? So, so coming back to it, accountability. I believe you have to have that as your spouse, but I also believe you have to have that for somebody else in your life. You need somebody else that can look at you and say, you are wrong. And you still are friends with them. Sure. It's, it's everything. You're together. You're either together in this or you're not. Um, I, I remember when you first could start following people on your phones. And I had guys tell me, I didn't have the conversation really as much with women, but I had guys tell me, well, I'm not going to let my wife know where I am. You know, what my, you know what first pops in my head? What are you hiding? What are you hiding? I, I really think that my wife keeps the GPS tracker on her phone open all the time. Because <laughs> she'll call me, hey, while you're at King Supers, what? <laughs> she'll call me. No, I, was, I won't go there. So, <laughs> but, but guys, why, why, why would we not? Why would we not want our spouses knowing where we are at every single second of every day? Why? Well, I've, I've got a private life. Do you? You're one, aren't you? It doesn't mean you can't be alone. I did, I did one of my favorite alone things today. I finished all my stuff. It took me to about 2 in the afternoon, and I did one of my favorite alone things. Anybody know what it is? What? What? Yes. Yes, I didn't think I was going to get lunch at all today. I went to lunch alone. I love going to lunch alone. I don't, I don't dislike eating lunch with my wife. But sometimes I like to be alone. It's one of my favorite things. I go to the restaurant. They know me there. I walk in. She says, you're regular? I said, I wanted to hug her. I don't even know her name. Yeah. Hug her? I didn't hug her because. All right. So we've got to have this balance. You need somebody, not your spouse. You need somebody that you can talk to about anything and they can talk to you and and they can hold you accountable and you can hold them accountable. Guys, the reason we don't like this is because we don't want to be out of control. We don't want to be open to somebody else. We don't want the accountability. At the end of the day, those are the reasons. We just don't want that level of accountability. We just don't want it. You can argue it any way that you want. Well, I don't have time. You do. If it's important enough, you do. It's interesting to me that the people that I've had these discussions with, um, I I have these discussions with pastors, okay, because that's my my group. Um, Pastors that have had moral failure, and you ask them, why didn't you have an accountability partner? I just was too busy. That's interesting because you weren't too busy to have sex with somebody besides your spouse. You squeeze that one in. Right? So, so it's priorities. We just don't want to be accountable to people. We don't want somebody to look at us and say, you're wrong. We just don't want that. Okay. There, there is some good positive too. I, I, I have an accountability group. There's, there's a five of us. Um, we get together regularly every other week. We try since Christmas has been a little crazy, but we get together and we talk about everything. We talk about everything. Well, they have said things to me that really have irritated me. But here's another thing. They have lifted me up when I needed it desperately. Guys, that's also what an accountability person does. They carry you. They carry you when you need to be carried. But but sometimes they, one in particular, I'm thinking of a conversation where I knew they were all thinking. As soon as I said something out loud, they were all thinking it. And one of them finally said, Pastor, because some of them go to this church, not all of them. But um, they said, Pastor, which tells you it was one of the three that go to this church. But uh, they said, um, you know you're wrong about that. 
And so I just hit him. I just, no, I didn't. <laughs> Say that again. Say it again. Um, but, but I sat there for a minute, and it, it meant it irritated me it, when he said it. But you know part of the reason it irritated me? Because he was right. He was right. And he said, you know you're wrong about that. I sat there for a few minutes, and I said, you're right. I'm wrong. So then I asked him, if you're me, how do you change that? Because I didn't know really, honestly. If I gave you the details, you would understand. But I didn't really know what to do. And so all of them began to discuss how I could do change that for like an hour. You know, after a while, you're like, okay, I get it. Except that what they were saying was really solid. I'm actually taking notes in my phone on some of the stuff they're saying. Because why? Because I need that, and you do too. You need that as much as I need that. Why do we not have these things? Because we're scared, we're, we're prideful, we're uh, intimidated, we're, we're rebellious about that. It, it just, we just need it. So, okay, so here's some, let me ask this question. What are some things that we can do to build community here at CAP? How do we build community? Now, now let, me, let me preface this with, you may need to figure out how you define community before you actually answer that question. How do you define community? Because that's one of the tricks the church has not, in my opinion, hasn't done a good job of defining. I believe the church, for the most part, thinks community is that we're all getting along. Except I don't think that's a criteria for community. The, the scripture says that we're the, we're the family of God. Do you know a family that gets along? I mean, we have brief moments, right? You have, these, you have these weird little moments when everybody's getting along. And when your kids are like junior high, high school, you recognize them and you actually say stuff. My kids, I still, I still, my kids still give me a hard time about this. If I say anything to my kids about, hey, tonight's family night. Linda, since you seem to have an attitude about this, why don't you tell us, when I say it's family night, what do my children think I mean? <laughs> I'm about to gripe at somebody. <laughs> I didn't know that for years. I didn't realize that I would say, hey, it's family day. You know what you need to change, kid? You know, that kind of thing. I didn't realize that was the next sentence. But, um, but... You just have brief moments when you get along. It's the same with the church. You're not, you're not going to get along with everybody in here. There's too many different personalities. <clears throat> what? That, that is, actually, that's, that's the, what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians. That's what 1 Corinthians 11 is about, 10 and 11. But here's another thing, this statistic. It's been a while since I've said the statistic. But the statistic is... If a family eats together at least two meals a week, their children are 80% less likely to end up in jail. And you're like, well, there's something special about that food. <laughs> you understand it's not the eating together that's the key. It's the fact that that seems to be a priority to them, which means there's other things. There's other priorities and criteria and stuff. When you care enough to say, we as a family are going to do this, and guys, in today's society with teenagers, that's tricky. That is tricky, but you've got to do it. You say, you mean we've got to eat together. I think that's a sign of something. That's a sign of something. Make sure that as a family you make those priorities. Specifically, if your kids are little and they're going into teenage years, if you don't make that a priority, by the time they're late teenagers, you're going to realize you missed, you missed a lot of stuff going on there. You missed connection, relationship. You missed really what's going on. We learned more about our kids sitting at dinner tables than we did any other time. That's when they would actually tell us stuff. Um, they, that's when they would admit things. They didn't even know they were admitting. That's when you learn. That's when you grow. Plus, here's the biggest thing. This has been my mantra since day one is... Um, um, Rich Wilkerson is the guy that first started coining this phrase back in the late 80s. But he said, um, rules without relationship lead to rebellion. If you've got the rules, but there's not the relationship, 
you don't, you're not really, those rules are, are falling flat on their ears. They will break those rules. You've got to have the relationship. The relationship drives the, the reason for and the understanding of and the commitment to the rules. So you've got to have these kind of relationships. We have to have it in the, in the church family. We've got to have this kind of stuff. We've got to have these things. Let me, let me read one more scripture to you. And um, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, he says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves, and he's already explained love above this, that it really is, it's commitment, there's a lot of stuff with it. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows love. The, the reason that I throw that out there is because we, for too long in the church, we've operated on the mentality that loving is, is a feeling. But Boston told us, it's more than a feeling. You've got me reeling. So, anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us. Again, actions. He showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. This is why I really believe that the defining thing, this is why I preach this to death, the defining thing for us as Christians is telling people about Jesus. It's not all the other stuff that we say. Telling people about Jesus is more important. Write this one down because I'm going to get conflict on this. Telling people about Jesus is more important than reading your Bible. Do you understand what I just said? I know people that, can, that have read their Bible for years and, and, and never told anybody about Jesus. And, and, and they have a legalistic mentality. There's a bunch of stuff that comes along with that. Telling people about Jesus that is the Great Commission. God, Jesus himself, commanded us to do that. Now, obviously, reading the Bible is very, very important. But show me where Jesus said, all Christians everywhere, read the Bible. Are you following me? Did Jesus expect us to? Yes. That's very clear in Scripture. But he didn't, he didn't give that as a command. He didn't say that as a command. Did Jesus say, go to church every week? No. Does he want us to do this? Yes. Paul tells us, in fact, this is one of the bigger scriptures for me that just gets me. In, in Hebrews 10, 25, Paul says, don't forsake the assembling yourselves together. He says it. In fact, he says it to such a gravity that the very next sentence, verse 26, he says, if you go on sinning willfully... There no longer is forgiveness for your sins. That is one of the strongest statements theologically on so many levels. You cannot believe in a, in a once saved, always saved with that sentence. You cannot. Okay? But with it, he ties it in. The sentence before is don't forsake the assembling yourselves together if you go on sinning willfully, which to me says the not assembling yourselves together is the willful sinning. How can it not be? I mean, there's other stuff in there that is also included, but that sentence is directly after it. But does, but does Jesus himself say, make sure you go to church every week? No, we know we need to. I've talked about that. But Jesus does say, go into all the world, preach the gospel. Go into all the world and make disciples. The way you mature the quickest, the healthiest, the strongest is you witness. Now, here's the cool thing. The more you witness, the more you will lean on and rely on the Word of God. You will. You have to. Because all of a sudden, things are happening and people are asking questions and stuff. You've got to know the Word, and so you will get into the Word. But witnessing is the driving force. What is the driving force for the supernatural? Miracles and things like that. Witnessing. These signs will follow. What is the driving force of the Holy Spirit in your life and why He wants to empower you? You will receive power to be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit empowers you to witness, not work miracles. The miracles are the signs that follow the witnessing. Right? But that's not the way we think in the church. We think other stuff first. Witnessing, witnessing, witnessing. That's first. That's the priority. And He says, this is real love. Jesus died for you. That's real love. So how do we live this real love out? We declare that Jesus died for somebody else. 
We live that out so that they know it. That's the priority. That's real love. Real love is not doing nice things for people. That can be included. Real love is not just caring for people. That's included. Real love is Jesus down on the cross, and you're supposed to live that out in other people's lives. Verbally, attitudinally, everything. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other that much. That's what he's saying. That's the given. That's the, that's the ingrained there. Since God loved us that much, we should love others that much. The same kind of mentality, right? So, so next week, we will go to video four where he actually breaks down the real uh, relationship, the connected part of the relationships, or healthy relationships. He went over all these others, and I would say to just analyze that just a little bit, and for yourself, analyze the different relationships in your life, which of these relationships are disconnected, or which relationships are feeling bad relationships, uh, which relationships are pseudo-relationships. You understand the pseudo, right? Um, the easy way to describe pseudo, but, but it's so much actually more prevalent, but when that, when that teenage girl feel like, feels like that she has to um, be something that she shouldn't be because that guy likes her. That's, that's a pseudo-relationship. It's not a real relationship. It's a pseudo-relationship. He just wants something, and she feels like she has to give in to have that relationship. The sad thing is, is that I've, I've just said this for years. When I was a youth pastor, I've said it, I've said it to a, a, a grown adult women that are trying to get married. All this. If, you, if you have to surrender yourself to somebody to have a relationship, you don't need the relationship. It's not, it's not healthy. It's, it's not a healthy relationship. Guys, that works in any kind of setting. If you, have to, if you have to compromise you to have a relationship at work or anything, I'm, not, I'm, I'm talking sexually. I'm saying if you have to compromise you to have a relationship, it's not a good relationship. Jesus wants you to be you and serve him. And then you can have a relationship. Right? So he's going to break that down next week and we're going to talk more about uh, real connected relationships rather than pseudo-relationships. So think about that a little bit. Process the relationships in your life. Think about whether it's a give or take, whether you're giving, whether they're giving, whether there's openness, whether there's honesty, all these other kind of things. And then obviously, because we're constantly pushing this, think about really developing an accountability relationship. Now, I say this to the men all the time, but to say it to the church at large, if, if you do not have an accountability relationship, you have some issues you need to deal with. You need an accountability relationship. And if you don't have it, the question is why? Why? Why do you not have a... Specifically, if you're a guy in this church, you've heard me and many other men in this church talk about this ad nauseum. Why do you not have accountability relationship? Start there, and you can get to the next step in, in relationships and accountability and all that other kind of stuff. All right, so how should we pray? We're going to pray. How should we pray? Yeah. I would say God opened my heart to want this. Open my heart. Why don't I want this? Why don't I? Um, Maybe, maybe even pray, um, God, help me to assess which relationships in my life are healthy and which are unhealthy, and, and then show me what to do about it. It doesn't mean you just walk away from everybody that you have an unhealthy relationship. The reason it, it's unhealthy may be you. So pray about that. What else? What are we going to pray about? Pray that my wife would stay the entire service. Do you see what I deal with, people? <laughs> the disrespect. Um, <laughs> the newsboy, I think. Um, you know, really to think to yourself, okay, God, what do I need to do? Across the board, relationships. If you just go to him and ask him. Our church will be healthier if you ask God that question. 
If you ask God, our church will be healthier. All right? Okay, let's pray. God, we, we surrender ourselves to you. Jesus, you're the king. You're the amazing king of everything. And uh, Lord, we are always humbled by that. Um, Lord, we're encouraged by that. We're convicted by that. You're the king. So Lord, we ask you to be the king sovereign over our life. To be the ruler over our life. Lord, we need you to be the ruler over our relationships. All relationships. Good, bad, all relationships. We need you to rule. So Lord, we submit them to you. We submit our family relationships, our marriage relationship. We submit them to you. We submit our work relationships to you. That God, we want them to be healthy as, as much as possible that we can do. We want them to be healthy in you. Lord, I pray for, for every one of us here. If they've got some relationships that are hurting them and hindering them, show them right now. Make that clear to them and show them what to do about it. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we need that help. God, I pray for everyone in this room that they would, that they would look for, seek after, and develop accountability relationships. That they would see the necessity of this. The urgency of this. And that, uh, God, that we can have some good, healthy accountability. Lord, help Church at Briargate develop solid relationships, that we don't have just a bunch of disconnectedness, but we really, we really develop some deeper relationships, that we truly love people to you, that uh, we try to stop loving people to ourselves or to, um, to our church or whatever. God, help us to love people to you. And we pray all this for people to, to know you, for us to know you, and for all of us to be healthy in you as much as possible. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, men, do not forget, Friday night, here at the church, 6.30, the rally begins, we start serving pizza. Uh, invite somebody with you. Invite another guy to come with you. I saw a guy in the pharmacy yesterday. He had a Navy hat on. He was 75 and I said, were you in the Navy? He said, yeah. And I said, hey, come here, a Navy guy, Friday night. Gave him all the details. Just ask somebody. All right? See you guys Friday night. If not, we'll see you Sunday morning.